Well, today we're looking at uh, another question from the Bible, and we're looking today at the question that God asked Moses the day he spoke to him from the burning bush in the wilderness, and he said to him, what is that in your hand? It's a simple enough question, and yet it shows us something of the way that God meets us where we are, takes what we have and transforms lives when we're willing to take even the most faltering steps of faith. I'd like to um, think for a moment about another story of how God moved in an amazing way um, through a particular person's life. It's a story of a a move of God and the founding of the Teen Challenge organization, which uh, Uh, Some of you may know this helped many thousands of people overcome addictions to drugs and alcohol. And uh, it all began in an unexpected way um, when an American minister called David Wilkerson uh, was in his study and God spoke to him through what was in his hand at the time. And what was in his hand was a copy of Life magazine And he recounts the story of opening uh, this up and reading through it, and God spoke to him. This is from his book, The The Cross and Switchblade. I I just quote uh, the opening lines of chapter one. David Wilkinson said, This whole strange adventure got its start late one night when I was sitting in my study reading Life magazine and turned a page. At first glance, it seemed that there was nothing on the page to interest me. It carried a pen drawing of a trial taking place in New York City, 350 miles away. I'd never been to New York, and I never wanted to go except perhaps to see the Statue of Liberty. I started to flip the page over, but as I did, my attention was caught by the eyes of one of the figures in the drawing, a boy one of seven boys on trial for murder. The artist had caught such a look of bewilderment, hatred and despair in his features that I opened the magazine wide to get a closer look. And as I did, I began to cry. What's the matter with me, I said aloud, impatiently brushing away the tear. I looked at the pictures more carefully The boys were all teenagers. They were members of a gang called the Dragons. And beneath the picture was the story of how they had gone into Highbridge Park in New York and brutally attacked and killed a 15-year-old polio victim named Michael Farmer. The details of the story revolted me. It turned my stomach. In our little mountain town, such things seemed mercifully unbelievable. That's why I was dumbfounded by a thought that sprang suddenly into my my head, full-blown as though it had come into me from somewhere else. Go to New York and help those boys. I laughed out loud. Me? Go to New York? A country preacher barge into a situation he knows less than nothing about? Go to New York and help those boys. The thought was still there, vivid as ever, apparently completely independent of my own 
feelings and ideas. I'd be a fool. I know nothing about kids like that. I don't want to know anything. It was no use. The idea would not go away. I was to go to New York, and furthermore, I was to go at once, while the trial was still in progress. The rest of David Wilkerson's story, as he obeyed this call of God, led many gang members to find faith and freedom in Christ. And from those early beginnings, there grew a work among uh, people with addictions, both young and old, which today, over 50 years on from when the Teen Challenge was set up, spans over uh, or approximately 125 nations. That was a story where God met with someone, what they were holding in their hand, and he used it to transform many lives. But let's return to the day that changed the direction of Moses' life so dramatically and afterwards the whole people of Israel. Now Moses' life up to this point when God met him at the age of 80, we should remember, was basically a life of two halves. His first 40 years showed great promise and his next 40 years he was literally in the wilderness. Saved at birth from Pharaoh's decree in Egypt to kill all the male babies born to the Hebrews. Moses was brought up in the royal palace by Pharaoh's daughter. He had everything going for him, all the privileges he could wish for, but one day he went out to see what was going on among the people, and he saw something that he really didn't like. He saw his own people being treated harshly, and he decided to step in and kill one of the Egyptians who was beating a Hebrew man. But the next day he was exposed, his crime was exposed, and so he had to flee for his life. And he ended up uh, away in the land of Midian, out of Pharaoh's reach. But there he found uh, a different life. He was given refuge by Jethro, a priest of Midian, and married his daughter and and had two sons. Life was different from before. A prince became a shepherd. And this went on for some time, for 40 years. And then on this day, God met with him because he had a very special job for him to do. He was the man God wanted to lead his people out of slavery in Egypt. I'm sure in Moses' place, we'd also have been surprised and maybe a bit reluctant to uh, respond. Maybe like Moses, we'd have a bit of self-doubt over whether we really were the right person. How could we do it? What about all the reasons we uh, could think of for not doing it? And in the end, could God just not find someone else? And that was basically the gist of Moses' excuses. He tried to say he wasn't qualified, he didn't have the abilities, and he doubted people would listen to him anyway. And then when God answered all these excuses, he said quite plainly, please send someone else. In Paul's letter to the Romans that we were hearing um, the first few verses of chapter 12, 
Paul says to the Christians there not to think of ourselves more highly than we ought, but rather to have a realistic view in accordance with our faith. However, our problem is often that we don't think of ourselves as highly as we ought, or perhaps we don't think of ourselves um, the way that God sees us. We might think that we could never do that much for God, that uh, our lives are not such that he could use in the way that we might think. Our excuses could range from thinking we're not qualified, we don't have the abilities, maybe um, we're too young or too old, maybe we just feel we're disqualified from whatever it is. But our thinking, whether in terms of our own life or the life of the church, can often be focused on what we've not got. If only I was like this, if only we had all these skills or people or resources. And yet when God asks us to join in the work of his kingdom, to share the good news of Jesus, he never concentrates on what we don't have. He never says, I've got a job for you, and then doesn't enable us to do it with his help. When God called Moses to lead his people, Moses might have thought of his past failures and his wilderness years. He might have thought that disqualified him from serving God in this new way. Surely God's made a mistake. But what he was failing to see was that those very experiences had allowed God to shape him to become the person who had exactly what was needed. Moses' training had been in the wilderness years. Learning to look after Jethro's sheep and goats was in itself preparation for Moses to lead God's people for the next 40 years. And so for us, sometimes the things in our past experiences, the things we may have particularly found difficult are the very things that God can use to help us to minister his love to other people. Because when we've been through something ourselves, we, we're more often able to show compassion on others who are going through similar things. But we see also how God uses the natural experience Moses gained from his time being a shepherd. The experience of caring for the flock, of leading them to new pastures, of protecting them from danger gave him exactly, in uh, modern speech, uh, the kind of transferable skills that would help Moses shepherd the people of Israel. Just as Jesus called Peter the fisherman to be a fisher of men. So God will use our natural gifts and skills and abilities in the work of his church in the world. But let's consider this question God puts to Moses. When Moses is trying to wriggle out of things, when he's giving one excuse after the other, God says, what is that in your hands? And Moses replies, a staff. It was an everyday object, something that Moses used in his shepherding, and he'd carry it with him every day. 
it wasn't a particularly special object, it was, but it was something that God was going to use to help Moses get the job done. God was going to use the staff in Moses' hands to perform miracles that would convince people to follow Moses. And it would be Moses' staff that God would use to part the Red Sea, that uh, when he raised his staff, God would part the sea for them. And later on, there was a battle where when Moses was holding up his arms and the staff in one arm, the Israelites were winning and they won the battle. So when we surrender what we have to God, he can use it beyond our thoughts and beyond our imagination to achieve his purposes. I truly believe that this, is, this passage is all about God is calling us not just to look, not to look at what we don't have, but to be willing to surrender what we do have, our gifts and abilities, our experiences, our resources, our prayers to him. Because when we surrender what we do have, God can perform his miracles through us. And when we offer the might we have, God can multiply it many times because that's the kind of God he is. He is a generous God who loves to give good gifts to his children. And when he calls us to follow where he leads, he will surely give us what we need along the way. And he specializes in giving us more than we can ask or imagine when we respond in faith, when we take that step. And we can see examples in the Gospels. Jesus never asked people to give what they didn't have. He commanded people to give what they had, and he commended them for it, even if it was very little, because that's what they had to give. Jesus praises a, a widow for giving two very small coins in the offering to God in the temple in Jerusalem because she gave what she had, even though by human standards it was very little indeed. In God's eyes, she gave more than the rest, including those who gave lots, because she trusted God to provide for everything else. And then we have the occasions when Jesus fed the large crowds with very little the feeding of the more than 5,000 and the more than 4,000 people. Now, Jesus was testing his, his disciples' faith to see how they would respond to these seemingly impossible needs around them. However, what he asked them was, what do you have? What did they have? And they had a few loaves and a few pieces of fish. And taking what they did have, Jesus multiplied it many times so that the whole crowd was fed and there were leftovers too. All these passages in, in God's word challenge us to reassess how we think. Do we concentrate on thinking about the things we don't have? Or can we begin to see that God is asking us to think about what we do already have that he can use? however small, when we offer it to him in faith. What experiences, what gifts, what prayers can we offer 
to God to be used in the upbuilding of his church and the work of his kingdom. Paul mentions in that same passage in Romans chapter 8 that we are the body of Christ and that we all need each other. And that means we need all the gifts that we have to offer if we're to grow and to bear fruit together in God's kingdom. And we're also reminded there in that passage that every one of us has been given gifts, not the same but equally important for the good functioning of all. So however we think about ourselves, we all have something to give to God. Even if some are physically not able to do as much as before, there are still things we can offer to God, not least our prayers for God's people and the work of the gospel. Because prayers are not limited in their range, we can stay in our homes and pray that God, and that can have a greater effect on our world than we can possibly imagine. Even in the most difficult of circumstances, God can still work through us. I remember being present in a hospice ward when a lady who was terminally ill with cancer showed concern for another lady in that place who had said to her how difficult she found it to believe in God's love and acceptance. And so the lady who was terminally ill shared her own faith and the good news of Jesus. And the other lady was helped to be renewed in her own faith and assured of God's love for her. It's never too early or too late to give what we have to God. Be it a prayer, a word, a skill, or an experience. Be it something big or something small. God can use us to bless others. God doesn't ask us what we don't have. He asks us, what is that you have in your hand? For whenever God calls his people to act, he also gives us what we need to fulfill what he asks us to do. And he uses what we already have for his glory. So what is God calling you and me to do this day, this month, this year? And what do we have in our hands what is it that God wants us to use so that he can bless others too? It may even be something we've carried with us for a long time, just like Moses carrying his trusty staff. It may be something we've completely discounted or left as a forgotten dream. But God is saying now is the time. Whatever it is God is asking of us, Let's remember that when we respond in faith, God promises to be with us every step of the way. And in the words of Romans 12, verse 1, Therefore I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. 
This is your true and proper worship. Amen. Let's pray. Loving God, we thank you that you um, care for us so completely that whatever we are going through at the moment, you have compassion and love for us. And Lord, we ask that you would open our eyes to see what you have given to us that we may offer to you, that you would guide us in your ways and help us to be a blessing to the people around us, for we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.